Welcome to the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast, the podcast for HVAC contractors who are ready to quit screwing around and begin growing their business. Powered by Rival Digital. On this show, you'll hear from industry leaders and become equipped with the tools and knowledge you need to build a world-class business. Now, here's your host, Eric Thomas. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast. My name is Eric Thomas. I'm the host of the show. Um, super excited to have you all back here joining me for yet again another episode. Uh, before we get going, just wanted to remind you all that uh, we are uh, a free epi- a free podcast that is just out here trying to provide value for you all. So if you find any value from this podcast at all, uh, it would mean the world to us if you left us a short review on Apple Podcasts. So with that being said, we are going to go ahead and welcome on our guest for this show today. His name is David Endersky from Incon up in New Jersey. David, how are you doing? I'm doing great this morning, Eric, and yourself? I am doing pretty good. Um, excited to have you on the show today. Excited to chat more about your business because um, I'm just looking at your website here, and, and it looks like you guys are um, pretty pretty reputable, I guess, up in that area for about 50 years or so. So go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Tell us about your family business and uh, how you guys have um, gotten to where you are today. Yeah, for sure, Eric. Um, So my father started the business in 1968, um, starting as a residential contractor in what was, you know, central New Jersey. Over the years, we've morphed and grown and changed. We're now a self-performing merit shop contractor serving most of New Jersey. Uh, currently, we have multiple divisions from mechanical to traditional ser- uh, brake fix service. We've, um, about two years ago, added an electrical division to the group. And, um, you know, working in a generational business, my father is 83, comes to work every day. The running joke in family is my mother says I can't fire him. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Eric, uh, very privileged to be able to say that in a generational business, get to work with my father every day. And still enjoy dinners with them on the weekend. So it's um, we get to share both sides of that, and a wealth of wisdom from him. Yeah, absolutely. So growing up in the business with him, um, what what was that like? You know, I did. I was the traditional owner's son in the sense of did high school summers here, did college summers and breaks. But I'm I'm not sure until my junior senior college ever planned on being here full time, and then just the way life kind of worked out and said. Hey, Dad, you got a job for me here full time. And career started, you know, at that point. And early in my career, there were some um, some business challenges that I'd like to say I learned more in the first six months on the business side than I ever could have gotten from an MBA from an MBA at a Harvard or something. Yeah. Because you, while I spent a lot of time in the field, the whole business acumen side of a business that nobody teaches you about, and all of a sudden you're the estimator and the the chief of a lot of things that you don't have the right expertise to be doing, but you learn by fire and uh, learned a lot, a lot of valuable lessons very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. They say, if you want to, if you want to get an expedited MBA, just go start a business or, uh, <laughs> or run a business. Cause it's like, it, you're right. It's, you know, I, I went to business school and uh, you know, you, you do learn a lot of valuable stuff in, in college and in business school. Uh, but after starting, rival digital 
I would say the first six, like you're saying, first six to eight months of doing this is just like all this stuff that they never teach you that you learn, like trial by fire. But on the uh, on the flip side is it may every day is exciting. Every day we're learning something new, whether it's on the mm-hmm. business side or the technical side. Um, and you know what the world and the globe going through. We're um, ever more important than, than once before we're needed as an industry. And we're super excited to show up to work every day because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Yeah, absolutely. That, that is very true. So you all do, uh, it looks like a lot of schools and uh, like large commercial type of, uh, of projects. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, Eric, we'll do anything from owner-occupied a 5,000-square-foot space all the way up to real large commercial industrial spaces. Um, we do do a lot, in, you know, even before COVID in the medical, surgical, clean room environments. So we were pretty well-versed in all the words that came out with air purification before the media made them all mainstream words for us. Um, yeah. But we really, we really have a clientele that's pretty diverse. And um, I think that's been one of our biggest successes and I'm not sure we did it necessarily by design in recent years, but making sure we're diverse so that when one sector of the world really had a shutdown or a major blip, there was other sectors that really needed us. Yeah. So which sectors have you all found the most success in during, I guess, your time there? So the last bunch of years, it's really been in the hospital and the medical community. Um, and New Jersey has, a, has an aging um, demographic. So we're building a lot of... A, senior centers, assisted livings, dialysis centers. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, it's not an outsourceable thing. So they're needed. They're needed quickly. And time is valuable is more, more than money in the sense of, so we do a lot of interior fast track work. Yeah. Interesting. So, so I guess I, I was reading on your bio and your biography that they'd sent over kind of like, um, you all have really, I guess, changed in regards to, or, or kind of innovated with technology, how you've done things, the processes and, and how you've run the business really from an operational standpoint. What have been some of those technological changes that you all have adapted? You know, I'm going to say about four or five years ago, we really invested heavily on our European operating software systems with the goal to be completely paperless and wireless and not thinking that we'd be in a complete remote cloud environment. Yeah. Um, but for, you know, I'd like to say it was forward thinking five years ago, but it wasn't. Um, the fact that when the world had a shutdown, our techs and our staff were able to work virtually from anywhere. Um, the techs are all real time, uptime in, in, in their paperwork. So when they do complete a, a work order or transaction, it all it hits our database uptime and they can see work histories and call histories on, on equipment, pending quotes. So that um, ability to leverage technology has really made it um, uh, you know, a lot more faster and a lot more flexible. And, and then on the construction side, all of our foremen now carry around iPads. Um, yeah. They all have tablets. So instead of just having the traditional blueprints, we can get them design changes. We can get them. Uh, and, and likewise, if there's an issue on a job site, they can take pictures, send it back through the architects and the professionals to say, hey, what do you want us to do based on this site condition? So we really try to leverage technology to make sure our guys and, you know, women here can really uh, do their job better and faster. Yeah. So how did that implementation process go? Was there, was there a lot of pushback or was it pretty well accepted by the, by your, your team? 
Um, you know, Eric, I think our team, like most, are resistant, resistful of change. Yeah. Um, but we had done we had done a software implementation about 15, 20 years ago. So we kind of learned that whatever they tell you the training budget should be, we doubled it. And we had really, I think, very reasonable milestones. And we said we're going to do kind of soft rollouts as opposed to one day we're just going <clears> to, <throat> you know, pull the plug on one software package and go to the other. So we did it very slowly. We had them back when you could have trainers here. We had them here once a month. And, and again, we really put a robust number on what it would take to train it. And to this day, we still get trained now virtually. Um, any new person that comes on board or if there's modules we want to learn more about. So we're really trying to invest in that because software is like any other management tool, right? If you don't use it, it's it's just there. But yeah. the information you can you can take out of it if you invest in it. Um, so it's part of our P&L. It's part of our budget that every year we're, tra- you know, we're training technically and we're training on our, our ERP as well. Yeah. So what was, um, I guess you said that was about four or five years ago when you guys switched all that stuff to go paperless. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are some notable takeaways that you have from that uh, transition? I think one of the biggest ones, especially on the field HVAC service tech side, uh, um, Technicians really can't leave their current call until they finish the paperwork, which is a prevailing trend in our industry. Um, but it gives the customer the best, most meaningful, timely input of what, what occurred on site. Mm-hmm. Um, it also allows us to keep our records straight and build the customer timely because, you know, customers don't, despite whatever happens, they don't appreciate getting a bill 60 or 90 days later because we didn't process paperwork, right? Yeah. Um, or, you know, hey, where's that? Your quote, your technician was here three weeks ago, said he needed to get us a quote, never did. So it really streamlines that process and yeah. keeps everyone accountable to what's got to happen in the daily tasks. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. I think that um, be, sending that over to the customer right away is you know, either right away or within, you know, shortly after the technician leaving, either residential or commercial, right. honestly. Um, I've seen it before where, you know, customers are going back onto the website two days later, three days later, asking if they can get their invoice. And it's like, why, why haven't you sent the invoice to them yet? <laughs> like, come on. Um, so I think and, that that's and from great. a business and from a business management standpoint, we pay payroll every week. Um, when you're billing a customer 40 or 60 days later, it's hard for them to be timely. And that, you know, that cash flow word is incredibly important to any business. Yeah. So how does that, cause you know, a lot of times with residential, it's like they, they show up to the home, they service the home, the customer pays you leave. Uh, or if it's, you know, a replacement or an installation job, they pay something up front, they sign up for financing, they pay it over time in the commercial side, you know, this more B2B type of, uh, of business being dealt. How does that work with, you know, with billing? Do you guys prefer like net seven or net 60 or whatever? <clears throat> You know, Eric, it's um, fundamentally fascinating that a lot of our clients are traditionally net 60 or 90. Yeah. Um, and we have tried very hard to work with the right partners that value deposits um, and timeliness of payments. But when you deal with some of these bigger companies that are either REITs or hospitals, if you want to work for them, you just have to accept their credit terms. Um, yeah. So, the you know, a Again, the faster we get it into their queue, the faster we can at least start the clock ticking. 
Yeah. Um, and then it's all the little things like making sure you have the right PO, making sure you have the right paper trail because otherwise it just gets tied up in cyberspace and you'll never get paid. Yeah. So when it comes to getting some of those, you know, some of those accounts, some of those larger accounts as a commercial contractor, um, what do you think the most, uh, I guess one of the, like what's, what's the best way to go about landing new accounts? You know, I, in our 52 years, we do very little on the marketing side. Most of our client acquisitions come from refer, come from referrals or word of mouth. Um, and it's based on the relationship, you know, being there, doing what you say you're going to do when you're going to say you're going to do it. And if something happens, it's a simple word, right? Communicate. Hmm. And in today's, in today's current climate with supply chain issues, we're all dealing with it, whatever we're doing. We were supposed to get the part tomorrow, but now it's coming next week. You got to tell your customers. Um, cause that's what we all, it's, it's what we all want. It's what we all expect. And the more you do it and the more you build that trust and value. There we go. It, it, it comes down to fundamentally, you need to communicate your customers. You need to value that trust and value that relationship. And if, and when there's an issue, you communicate through the issue. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I think that uh, and it's kind of like this rising uh, thing in B2B marketing that they're talking about is demand generation versus lead generation. Whereas, you know, like in the past lead generation, you you spend a bunch of money and you just blast the world with cold calls or advertisements or something just to try to get people to pick up the phone and call you or fill out a form versus like demand generation, which is this newer concept of, you you give out value to the marketplace and then they come to you when they're ready. And I think in, in a B2B setting, that's, you know, the way to go for sure. It is. And, and we've learned a long time ago that in a business, in a B2B relationship, that facility team to make a change, they have to be treated really unfairly because mm-hmm. um, now they need to train a whole new company on how do you access the roof? Where is this? How do you, what's their protocol? And that takes a lot of energy on their part. So I say to my team all the time, we just need to do the right thing most of the time mm-hmm. and we will keep our relationship. And if we screw up or if there's an issue, talk to your customers. Don't hide it for them. Don't lie to them about it. We have, a, if there's an issue, there's an issue. And if we made their carpet dirty or if we found something wrong, just again, treat them the way you want to be treated. Yeah. Yeah. Communications, I feel like is always at the root of most issues in business and in life and in life in general, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and really, you know, cause everyone wants to communicate differently. Some people appreciate a phone call. Some people are okay with a text message. Some people want to see you once a week, ask your customers what they want. Cause yeah. it's not how you want to communicate. It's how they want to be heard. And if the answer is a text message, super. But if you text message them and that, that might offend the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Customer, are you all right? What's the best method of how do you want to be communicated to? Oh, email is great. Super. I'm still a big advocate. You know, it's the holiday season. We deliver thank you gifts to all of our customers between Thanksgiving and Christmas. All of our account managers must see every customer in today's environment that's open and willing. 
but you got to see them and you got to say thank you for their business. Yeah. Yeah. I was just about to ask how you go about communicating. Like, is it, is it where like the foreman or a project manager or something is communicating back to an account manager the account manager relays it off to the client? We, we like to say that we have a, um, our account managers are really the customer's advocate. They come back, we have weekly meetings and the account managers have the floor and they get to say, Hey, you know what? We didn't do the right thing for our customer. We're going to credit this invoice and they're empowered to make those decisions. Um, they follow up, they communicate and they also come back with great news. And, you know, we ask our account managers to talk to the people that are very happy with our service and, and ask the simple question. Do you have any friends? Do you have any mm-hmm. friends that would value what we do and that you can give us a referral to? Cause to us, that is the best way to, to grow or maintain your, you know, your business. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to gifting, I think that's a, that's a pretty cool topic we can, we can hit on for a minute because especially in B2B, I know we have some commercial contractors and and even light commercial contractors, those who service, um, you know, small businesses, light business, light commercial. Um, What, what do you, what do you do to go about gifts when it comes to the holiday season for your clients? Uh, So we've partnered with a, actually a company that makes these chocolate, molded air conditioning related products so it comes in a beautiful little crate and there are there are condensing units and sheet metal snips and and thermostats individually wrapped so they're covid friendly um but they're you know to me it's not about the gift it's about us showing up and yeah saying thank you to our customers for all the business that we do together yeah um and again it's not about the value because it's a piece of chocolate but again, it, it, we do think it's a little more unique in the in the uh, presentation of it. Um, but it's about showing up. Really, yeah. that's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it's that's spot on. I think because I've there's been times where we, you know we've gotten a, a gift from a partner or someone, you know, around Christmas time, or you know, maybe it's a relationship of us working together. And they'll get a gift and it could be a $30 gift, the most you know insignificant thing, which it doesn't seem like, you know, a huge elaborate thing, but it means so much. It just reminds you um, of, of them thinking about you. And it, it means a lot, even if it's not a very huge thing. hundred percent. And like anything else, you know, when you're, when you're there, most times, you know, a customer, you know, an account manager or someone will come back with, oh, well, we were there and we were talking about this project or next year's budget or, you know, it's how can we help? Um, mm-hmm. I say make it very hard to fire us as a partner. And if we're doing our job well, it makes it where all of a sudden they're starting to think about us. And we start saying, hey, what's your capital? Th- what, what are you thinking next year? What is the new, bu- what does the federal budget have to do with you? What's your infrastructure needs? Do you want to do an upgrade on this? What's and the more questions we can ask, the more we can help, and the more trusted we become as a again a valued partner. Yeah. So, what what are some other things you do um, to retain clients? You know, I think it's um, I think it's the proverbial. It's a journey. You got to do the right thing and communicate. Because look, we all we all make mistakes. We all have issues. Things go sideways in our business. Yeah. Um. But the more you're doing it every day and the more you don't take them for granted, oh, we've been dealing with them for five years, they'll never price check me. Be fair on your pricing because if someone ever goes to the open market and finds out that you're 
out of reasonableness. Um, no one, you know, people's memories are short. Um, and we yeah. look at it very carefully. We, we monitor job costing. Every project gets costed. And if things go really well, it's okay to give some money back. Hey, you know what? We thought this was going to take 40 hours. We were able to do it in 20 because of this. And, you know, here's some money back. You do that. They will be your trusted partner for many, many, many years. Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing we've learned along the way, especially in the B2B where, where you're not always dealing with the right decision makers, try to meet multiple people in that account. Because at some point that person's going to retire, going to take another opportunity. And then it's all of a sudden you only knew one name. You need mm-hmm. to know two or three names because people change. Companies get acquired, companies move. Um, the world's a very fluid place. And the more dynamic and engaged you are with it, the better long-term success we've had with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something that I think a lot of, um, a lot of B2B companies with account managers and stuff struggle with is they just have one person, you know, as an account manager with the client and then that person leaves. And then it seems like more often than not when a, you know, when a drop off or, or lost client happens, it's typically after that person has left. Right. And the new person presumably comes with their own Rolodex um, mm-hmm. and their their own trusted partners. But all of a sudden, two or three people up or down the food chain says, whoa, wait, my contractor has been here for 10 years. They know everything. And you're introduced to them as the trusted partner. It makes that dynamic incredibly different. Yeah, absolutely. But it takes time. It, you know, it, yeah. you don't you don't build that trust the first time. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. So, when it comes to uh, you know some of the other things that are going on around the industry right now, like you know supply chain issues and uh, and technician recruitment and stuff, what are some things that you all have done to kind of stay ahead of the curve? Um, on the supply chain side, first of all, we pre-ordered a lot of equipment and material. We've also communicated to our customers the need for them to have on stock supply of their specialties because you know every 40 ton rooftop unit's different and if we could say to them here are the five most critical components for your operation we highly recommend you order them now and put them in your own cabinets um on the other stuff we you know we, we don't have a big warehouse space but we've ordered enough stuff that on the construction side, the flex collars, you know, basic commodities, we had enough to support a few months of backlog. On the technician recruiting side, for years, we've had a very aggressive uh, referral, you know, internal referral program. Um, The technicians all know where the good ones are. It's all their friends. So, you know, we want to encourage them to be here. And then we partner with all the trade schools. You know, we engage. We want to be part of their boards. We want to be teaching classes. We want to learn who the next up and coming talents are into our industry. And we want to both give back to that corporately. We want to invest in that. And for that, we want the opportunity to offer them career paths that are exciting for them. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people I've talked to in regards to supply chain have said, you know, kind of similar you know, we, we, we stocked up on supplies ahead of time. Um, what's some advice that you would give to a contractor out there 
um, to stay ahead, even though like a lot of people would say, you know, just kind of sock up on it now. What's some advice that you would give to someone to avoid a shortage again or avoid, I guess, being hurt by a supply shortage? You know, I think as important as, as it is to communicate with your customers, that vendor relationship is equally as important. So talking to your supply houses, hey, what are you seeing? How are you forecasting three weeks, six weeks, 10 weeks out? Oh, and when they start saying, hey, we're getting concerned, how can we do it? How can we do it on consignment? How can we do it on staging? You've got to be creative about it. You got to figure out the conversations about it. We had some that were that stored it for us and did deferred billings on it because it helped both of us. Um, but if you're not communicating to your suppliers or your manufacturers that you buy your product from, the world's going to pass you by. Um, mm-hmm. So as much as you're talking to your customers, you got to have the vendor relationships in place that people are saying. You know, we're really seeing that we're running out of condensed units or we're having a shortage of this. And it's important to your business. How do you want to deal with that? Yeah. How often would you recommend uh, having those conversations with your supply house? Uh, we we have some parts people here. And if I don't, you know, they should be on the phone with them once a week. Um, and as much as we have our, during our internal meetings, our purchasing manager, it's his floor also. You know, Mark, what are you seeing out there? Where, where should we be concerned? Where, what's, you know, what's price parts doing, you know, and a lot of our construction work, you know, they're long-term contracts. Yeah. So hedging against future proofing, you know, even fuel right now, which has been, you know, rising steadily. And we have a fleet of about 60 trucks, you wow. know, guys be, be aware of where you're buying your gas right now, mm-hmm. you know, do the mindful, creative things that you would do for your own home. Do that for for what we need to do here in a business. Yeah, yeah, and, and I know that in the on the commercial side, um, there's a lot of leftovers. You know, a lot of leftover material from jobs. Typically, what do you all do to uh, reuse that, repurpose some of that material for future needs? <clears throat> Um, you know, we try to bring it all back here. If we know that one job site's closing and another one's opening up a lot of times, the foreman will say, you know, Hey, let's bring over those extra, you know, widgets over to here. Um, but our project managers, we have six of them and they, we encourage again, internal conversations about it. Hey, what's going on with this work? We use that because you're turning them to a supply house is inevitably very difficult you know, saying that it was unused or undented, it's very hard. And the cost of moving it is very expensive. Um, so we are in the preferred world, if there is extra, we try to move it direct to the next job. Yeah. So is there a way of knowing like exactly what parts you'll need? Cause like, I know like, okay, say you're, you're doing one you know job a over here and you're doing job B over there. You'll need some of the same parts, but maybe not all the same parts. So would you, would you prefer them to like move it directly to the job site or take it to like a warehouse where it's organized for the other foreman to come? No, we, we unfortunately don't have the warehouse space under our roof. So we move it to job site. Oh, okay. Um, And, and and the foreman, you know, in the world of, you know, mobile communication, they all know each other, but you know, our foreman have been here for a long time. They know when the next job starting. So they call up the next guy or the PM say, Hey, we've got this or that. 
Um, yeah. And I think it's more on the piping side than the sheet metal side because, you know, you, yeah. can, you can count your collars and flex, but counting your one-inch copper 90s, which are such a valuable commodity nowadays, you know, back in the day, foreman would just, ah, you know what, get me a dozen of them. I only need three, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I worked, I think I've told this story before on the podcast, but I used to work at a commercial uh, heating and air conditioning place. And I was, I was an apprentice. And when I first started there, my entire job was to go to job sites, drop off parts, pick up old, you know, leftover parts, bring them back to a warehouse and then organize them. And then I would also, (laughs) whenever they were, you know, flipping and replacing systems at schools, I would have to take a, like a a sawzall and cut everything apart to get the copper out, take it and sell it and then bring the money. It was, it was hilarious. Uh, I was like 19 years old. (laughs) It's amazing how many moving parts there are in our industry. Um, And, you know, I will tell you one of the other things that we did, we did start doing a few years ago, we've given all the foreman bigger trucks. So they can now work, you know, their, their trucks, whereas if they used to be in the, light half ton cargo vans they're now Mm -hmm. in the bigger transits the bigger you know that can stage more so they're becoming their own you know uh, roving supply house yeah um and for for the piping guys they ride very heavy so we've upgraded a lot of their trucks so that they have the widgets and fittings and then they could just restock and replenish their um their own inventory that's smart i like that have you guys noticed any issues with getting vehicles or fleet this year Tremendous. Uh, we, we're through a fleet, a national fleet program, and our normal normally we order in August or September with delivery in the winter. They basically told us don't expect anything in 2022. Wow. Um, and you know the fleet of any size, whether you got three vehicles or 103 vehicles, when your truck is down and your mechanic can't get to a job, it is incredibly disruptive. Yeah. Um, so the cost of we, you know, we we used to take the methodology of run trucks until they can't run anymore. Four or five years ago, we changed that, and we're starting to upgrade them before failure. And the technicians love being in a newer vehicle. And I said, hey, it's so expensive, but especially in today's market, the resale value of the vehicles, the feel good part of it, the fact that there is no more break or downtime with it has really been a positive um, impact to the business. Yeah. That's yeah. I I've heard that there's going to be a lot of problems with, um, with vehicles in this upcoming year. I've got a friend that sells fleets or, or sells vans for, you know, for HVAC in particular. And uh, he says it's just been nothing but a headache lately. I'm trying to get these cars. The vans and the trucks and all that stuff. Well, David, is there? You know, we're we're starting to run up here on time. So, is there uh, is there anything that I may have missed that you wanted to hit on? No, Eric. I I think the general theme of what we're talking about is communication internally yeah. to your customers, your internal team, externally to your customers, and third and most you know also important, your vendors. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, David, uh, this has been an awesome episode. I've, I've, I've been really glad to have you on here as a guest. Uh, before we get off, um, what's a great way for uh, our, our listeners to uh, get in touch with you? Uh, so, Eric, we've got, you know, the traditional mobile uh, social media platforms out there, but our website's www. 
nconmechmech.com. We are in New Jersey, and uh, we should be easily findable on, on the internet. Awesome. Well, David, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too, Eric. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. If you're an HVAC contractor in need of digital marketing services, contact us today at www.rivaldigital.com.